at 6.30 p.m. on November 16, 1936, inside Buckingham Palace in London, England. The handsome and populous monarch King Henry VIII sits across from his Prime Minister, Stanley Baldwin. Their conversation may be one-on-one, but in reality, Prime Minister Baldwin represents the leadership of the entire British Commonwealth. The topic of conversation is singular in nature. Simply, the government's stance on the king's current romantic relationship. The relationship itself begins without much fanfare three years earlier, before King Edward takes the throne. But by the summer of 1936, the king's love affair blossoms to the point where he now plans to propose marriage. There's only one problem. Well, three problems, actually. His bride-to-be is American. She's been divorced once. And, oh yeah, she's currently married to someone else. Now, King Edward listens intently throughout their 20-minute conversation as Prime Minister Baldwin points out, in no uncertain terms, that the king cannot marry this woman. And although there are no definitive laws that forbid the king from marrying her, Prime Minister Baldwin explains that there are barriers that can be stronger than laws. There are barriers of tradition, reputation, and of decency. He goes on to say that if the king pursues his desires to make this woman his wife, it could become a national crisis and lead to the fall of the British government. So there's that. Some later accounts of this meeting revealed that as the conversation comes to a close, the two men are actually in tears, which indicates just how monumental and emotional this situation really is. After the king bids Mr. Baldwin farewell, he is left alone in this magnificent palace room to think about the most important choice he's ever had to make in his 42 years on this earth. The choice is laid out pretty simply. Will he do as his government proposes and walk away from the woman he loves? Or will he do the unthinkable and abdicate his throne and surrender his duty as the king of the United Kingdom and the dominions of the British Empire? I'm Kevin. I've been happily married and in love with my wife for going on 10 years now. And I love telling real life stories. So I decided to combine these two worlds and create something new that will celebrate love stories like mine. A podcast which highlights what I think are the most moving, most fascinating, and most memorable love stories of all time. Stories that not only teach us about love, but also about ourselves. In today's episode, we'll take a deep dive into one of the most infamous and controversial love stories of all time. A couple whose relationship is often recognized by just two letters, W and E. Of course, I'm talking about King Edward VIII and Wallace Simpson. And remember, if you like this podcast, please give it a five-star review and hit the subscribe button. And don't forget to like us on our World's Greatest Love Stories Facebook page. It really does help. Today's episode is brought to you by amythedatingcoach.com. That's A-M-I-E, thedatingcoach.com. And if you're interested in creating your own great love story, schedule a free relationship readiness review with Amy today. Mention this podcast for special discounts. 
With that said, sit back, relax, and enjoy the world's greatest real-life love stories. The abdication crisis, as it's historically known, takes place during the latter half of 1936 and is arguably the greatest stain on the British crown in modern history. It involves the love affair between King Edward VIII and the object of his affection, American socialite Wallace Simpson. It has been written about in countless books, newspaper and magazine articles, and portrayed in many TV shows, documentaries, and feature films, including one directed by pop icon Madonna called W.E., a.k.a. Wallace and Edward. Although she probably should have just written a song about this one because the film and its reviews are horrible. To some, the love story of King Edward and socialite Wallace is a powerful and touching one that aside from his nobility, is truly about an English man who happens to have fallen for a divorced American lady at the wrong time in history. To others, it's a story about an American temptress who wanted to be queen so bad that she hoodwinked the King of England into falling in love with her, thus disrupting the course of British history forever. After diving into this love story, I saw that there are so many different points of view and so many conflicting accounts that will likely never know all the truths about their relationship. The bottom line is that no matter how you view the love story between King Edward VIII and Wallace Simpson, it's a damn good story. So let's let you and I see what makes we tick. King Edward VIII, as he's known during his reign, is born Edward, Albert, Christian, George, Andrew, Patrick, David, on June 23, 1894. To most who knew him prior to becoming king, he is known as David, the last of his one, two, three, four, seven names. For simplicity and brevity's sake in this story, I'm going to refer to him as Edward. As the firstborn son of a king, Edward is groomed to be king since the day he's born. And although he's well-educated, charismatic, and a World War I hero, having been awarded the Military Cross for his frequent morale-boosting trips to the trenches, he doesn't show much interest in being a committed royal and the formalities of being one of the most important members of the British monarchy. He's a somewhat quirky character who also has an unusual combination of entitlement, insecurity, and most unexpectedly, vulnerability. He's obsessed with exercise, listening to jazz music, throwing and attending parties, and of course, he loves the ladies. And oh, does he love the ladies. Before he becomes king, he has an endless array of affairs, many of them with married women. And these are not quiet backroom dalliances either. Edward lives his life out in front for all to see, something greatly frowned upon for the times and for those in his royal sphere of influence. The bottom line is that for the most part, Edward did what he wanted, when he wanted, and of course, who he wanted, often to his own detriment and to the detriment of others. In fact, his father, King George V, is so disappointed in the young prince and his questionable lifestyle and behavior that he says, after I'm dead, the boy will ruin himself in 12 months. Enter Bessie Wallace Warfield born on June 19, 1896 in Blue Ridge Summit, Pennsylvania. 
Tragically, Wallace's father dies of tuberculosis shortly after she's born, forcing her and her mother to survive on the generosity of a wealthy uncle for much of her childhood. Despite her uncle's financial assistance, Wallace grows up relatively poor, but still surrounded by wealth and affluence. Thanks to her uncle, Wallace attends Oldfield School, Maryland's most prestigious and expensive boarding school. Of the young Wallace, a fellow pupil at school recalled, She was bright, brighter than all of us. She made up her mind to go to the head of the class, and she did. But her bright mind teams up with a bad girl attitude, which often leads to the young teen breaking rules like shimmying out of her bedroom window at night to rendezvous with boyfriends. Her time at Oldfields includes friendships with the daughters of the super-rich, like the heiress to the DuPont fortune. These influential friendships encourage her to develop an impeccable fashion sense, a lifelong obsession with being thin, and a laser-focused desire to fall in love with the successful man of her dreams. The latter unmistakably apparent by what she inscribes in her high school yearbook next to her name. She writes, All is love. Never considered a great beauty, what this tall, skinny brunette with the piercing blue eyes lacks in the looks department, she more than makes up for in style, personality, and a relentlessness not to be seen as some cookie-cutter lady of the day. Shortly after graduation in 1916, Wallace marries her first husband, a U.S. Navy pilot named Earl Winfield Spencer Jr. But after allegations of abuse and alcoholism, they divorce 11 years later. She then marries her second husband, shipping executive Ernest Simpson, in 1928. This is where she gets the last name that will be attached to her for the rest of her life. The Simpsons almost immediately move to London and begin a lifestyle that gets them hobnobbing with the British elite. Then on January 10, 1931, during a weekend fox hunting trip, Ernest and Wallace Simpson meet Edward, then the Prince of Wales. Ironically, Edward is introduced to Wallace by his mistress at the time, one Lady Thelma Furness. After the weekend, Lady Furness encourages Wallace to stay connected to the prince because she wants witty guests like her, who fall outside of his usual social circles, that can keep him amused when she's not around. Fun fact, Lady Furness is the aunt of fashion designer and artist Gloria Vanderbilt, thus the great aunt of CNN anchor Anderson Cooper. So as Wallace continues to run in this royal party circuit, Lady Furness soon notices that Edward is becoming a little distant with her, and that he and Wallace have developed private jokes with one another. It's pretty clear to her and everyone else that this friendship between Edward and Wallace has turned into a full-blown affair. So basically, Edward's mistress introduces him to the woman who would become his new mistress. Gotta love those royals. By all accounts, in these first few years together, Edward and Wallace seem to have a lot of fun with one another. But it's not all parties and dinners for these two. There does seem to be some true moments of intimacy as well. Despite being a living, breathing prince, Edward used to do needlepoint in front of Wallace, a hobby he found relaxing. Then there's the fact that this man who loves to be pampered by servants for every little thing, 
would take the time to sit and paint Wallace's toenails by the pool. This unpretentious, sweet, tender side of Edward helps to draw Wallace in. At the same time, he truly enjoys her unfaltering confidence, her ability to listen, her outrageous sense of humor, and most importantly, she doesn't seem to be all that impressed with his title. And for Edward, who's a British royal and used to, how shall I put it, having his ass kissed, doesn't really get that from Wallace. She simply calls it like she sees it and isn't afraid to let the future king know what's on her mind. By late 1934, the prince and the married American socialite are in a full-blown relationship, to the point that Wallace becomes completely entrenched in his life. Edward takes her to parties, royal functions, and even introduces her to his most inner circle, including his family. She is a constant companion and a trusted advisor. Wallace is so interwoven into Edward's life she is even put in charge of buying Christmas presents for his staff. Although many agree that early on Wallace is in love with Edward, some offer up that she also serves as kind of a mother figure to him. In fact, she would use the occasional ribbing to dress Edward down a little bit and maybe level the playing field between these two, even among staff and friends. For example, sometimes during dinner parties, when Edward would steer the topic of conversation in a direction that, well, people not born with his particular brand of royal privilege might find offensive, Wallace would actually kick him under the table to let him know to move things along. Still, to many of those around him, they see Edward become a different person around Wallace, a more confident one, a more complete one. And although he's had many affairs in the past, none of them draw Edward out emotionally like the one with Wallace. Then there's the fact that together they seem to make a good team and have a lot of fun together. About this early courting period, Wallace would say, He was this open sesame to a new and glittering world that excited me as nothing in my life had ever done before. But I, Wallace Warfield of Baltimore, Maryland, could be part of this enchanted world. Yachts suddenly materializing, the best suites in the finest hotels are flung open. Airplanes stand waiting. It is like being Wallace in Wonderland. Now, the only reason their affair isn't front page news in the British press is that at the time, the press had an unwritten rule not to write about these kind of royal infidelities. But that is all about to change at the start of 1936. That's because on January 20th, Edward's father, King George V, unexpectedly passes away, thrusting Edward into the throne. Edward is king for only a few months before the abdication crisis begins to take form. This is because despite his father's unexpected passing and now being the most important royal on earth, Edward's feelings for Wallace do not waver in the least. In fact, it seems once he becomes king, they might even grow. And currently married or not, he wants Wallace to be his wife, his queen. When Wallace files for divorce from husband Ernest, the British leadership can see the writing on the wall. This is what sparks the November 16th meeting between Prime Minister Baldwin and Edward. 
a meeting that the Prime Minister hopes will end the relationship once and for all, or at least help them figure out a way to keep the monarchy intact. Despite the almost immediate blowback from his government, his family, the Church of England, and many of the British people who find Wallace unfit to be queen, Edward wants to come up with a way to marry her, plus keep his crown. One proposal is that he and Wallace enter into what is called a morganatic marriage, in which Edward could stay king, but Wallace does not receive the title of queen and is not entitled to any of his wealth. But the British establishment tosses this seemingly reasonable compromise outright. Their position is simple. They believe that a twice-divorced American woman is politically, socially, and morally unsuitable to be the wife of any king under any circumstances. Behind the scenes, some counsel Edward, even the Prime Minister Baldwin himself, that there is in fact another possible solution. One that is far less romantic, but allows Edward to be with Wallace and keep his throne. Basically, he doesn't marry Wallace, just keeps her as his mistress, kind of keep the status quo. Edward's stance on this option becomes pretty clear with this response. If they object to me marrying the woman I love, then I'm prepared to go. I cannot live without her. I intend to marry her. Knowing that she is the sole cause for all the current unrest, Wallace offers to leave Edward so as to return England and its monarchy back to normal. But Edward will have none of that. She will be his wife or he will give up his throne, period. Wallace herself is awestruck by Edward's desire to keep her in his life at all costs. She's reported to have said, He insisted that he needed me, and as a woman in love, I was prepared to go through rivers of woe, seas of despair, and oceans of agony for him. Eventually, the British press breaks from their unwritten code of silence and runs with the scandal. That's when it turns into an all-out circus. Wallace is hounded by journalists and photographers from all around the globe, each wanting to get an interview or a photo of the woman tearing at the heart of the British monarchy. In just a matter of weeks, she goes from just another face in the crowd to Time Magazine's Person of the Year. The very first female to be named that, by the way. And this wasn't exactly a down year in terms of competition for the most influential person of 1936, as Wallace beat out the likes of sprinter Jesse Owens, who won four Olympic gold medals, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, playwright Eugene O'Neill, and even author Margaret Mitchell, who had just written Gone with the Wind. To make their case, Time would write this about how and why Wallace was chosen over the rest. In the single year 1936, she became the most talked about, written about, headlined, and interest-compelling person in the world. In these respects, no woman in history has ever equaled Mrs. Simpson, for no press or radio existed to spread the world news they made. So in a nutshell, Wallace Simpson became the world's first international tabloid sensation. The British people, led by loyal monarchists of the day, play a role in the scandal too. 
Some throw bricks through Wallace's windows and even write anonymous letters threatening bodily harm and even death. At one point, things get so bad that even the always resolute Wallace is understood to have told Edward, I am so anxious for you not to abdicate, and I think the fact that you do is going to put me in the wrong light to the entire world because they will say that I could have prevented it. But Edward continues to insist to her that they are meant to be together and to just let things play out. Wallace agrees, but to wait out the royal firestorm that's taking place, she flees to the south of France to stay with friends. But try as he might to win over the British establishment and its people, Edward eventually sees the writing on the palace walls. When Edward tells his secretaries and his mother that after much thought, he has decided to abdicate and marry Wallace, they call up the obvious argument of him honoring his duty and responsibility to govern the British people. His response is simply, the only thing that matters is our happiness. So on December 11th, 1936, Edward stands in front of a microphone to address his people and let them know that he's decided on the matter. He tells them in part, I have found it impossible to carry the heavy burden of responsibility and to discharge my duties as I would wish to do without the help and support of the woman I love. King Edward VIII's last act in his 326-day reign is the signing of his own abdication letter. Edward's younger brother, Albert, is proclaimed as King George VI the very next day. One of the new king's first acts is to make sure his older brother is demoted, making Edward now the Duke of Windsor and his soon-to-be wife, the Duchess. But the deepest cut for Edward comes later, when his brother informs him that although the Duke can keep his Royal Highness status, Wallace cannot, meaning she can never be addressed by anyone as your Royal Highness, which for the wife of a Duke would be custom. To the king and the rest of the world, Wallace is a commoner and should be addressed accordingly. By the time he abdicates, the monarchy, aka Edward's family, is so pissed off at him that in addition to the reduction in title, they more or less excommunicate him from the family and the country. Even his own mother, Queen Mary, shuns her son, years later writing to him, It seemed inconceivable to those who had made sacrifices during the war that you, as their king, refused a lesser sacrifice. Ouch. Until her divorce from Ernest Simpson is finalized, Edward and Wallace decide to remain apart so as to not exacerbate an already tenuous situation. He heads to Austria. She remains in France. Over this time, they would write numerous love letters to each other. In her first letter to Edward after the abdication, she writes, My heart is so full of love for you, and the agony of not being able to see you after all that you have been through is pathetic. At the moment, we have the whole world against us and our love. Together, I suppose we are strong enough to face this mean world. 
Edward returns with a letter of his own and writes in part, God bless we, my sweetheart, and hold tight. I love you so dearly and want you desperately. The we in the letter is written with a capped W and a capped E, representing each of their first initials, helping to create the famed Wallace Edward moniker. In another letter written while apart, Wallace writes, Darling, I want to leave here. I want to see you, touch you. I want to run my own house. I want to be married and to you. On June 3, 1937, one month after her divorce is finalized, Wallace and Edward are finally married at a French chateau lent to them by a French millionaire. Edward presents her with a Cartier platinum ring set with a dazzling 19.77 carat rectangular emerald flanked by diamond baguettes. He also has it engraved. On the interior of the ring is etched, We are ours now. 27X36. The X representing the Roman numeral for 10, and the numbers 27, 10, 36, in remembrance of the date Wallace is finally granted her divorce, and they are officially allowed to be together, October 27, 1936. Not surprisingly, none of Edward's family are in attendance. A couple cool footnotes about the wedding, though. In 1997, Sotheby's auctioned off a piece of their wedding cake that Wallace had kept in a box over the years. A California couple bought the well-aged slice of baked goods for a whopping $29,000. And the blue wedding dress Wallace wore is to this day part of an exhibit in the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York. And this dress even created a new color to the world called Wallace Simpson Blue reportedly made to match her eyes. After their wedding, they head to Austria and Italy for their honeymoon, then settle back into a more normal life. The newlyweds are both fully expecting that all the hoopla surrounding the abdication will eventually die down, allowing them to return to England and back into British high society. But when World War II breaks out in 1939, and Edward does try to return home to live in England with his bride, he's prevented once again by his younger brother, King George VI, for fears it may cause public unrest. In a nutshell, the former King of England is still 86th from his own country. In 1940, the King does seem to throw Edward a bone when he offers him the somewhat unimportant but prestigious enough post as governor of the Bahamas, a position that will keep Edward and Wallace out of sight and out of mind for the entirety of the war. When the war finally comes to an end in 1945, Edward and Wallace continue their couple-without-a-country existence. They spend the next few years moving between rented and borrowed houses in France and in the U.S., until finally settling down in an 18th century country estate outside of Paris. 
In order to pay the bills, Edward receives a stipend of what today would amount to about a couple million dollars a year from the monarchy. A pittance, by royal standards, by the way. He does want to work, so he continues to lobby the monarchy to offer him some kind of position fitting of his royal status. But this request is repeatedly denied. So in the end, like most royals, Edward never develops any kind of career, instead essentially living a life of leisure and easy retirement. Together, Edward and Wallace do write some books, some magazine articles, do media interviews, work in their lavish garden, and become cocktail party darlings. They never have any children, but they do have a lot of dogs. Pugs are their breed of choice, and they give them really cool names like Disraeli, Davy Crockett, Black Diamond, Imp, Trooper, and Ginseng. Incredibly, the two remain married for 34 years until Edward's death from cancer on May 28, 1972, at the age of 77. Surprisingly, at his funeral back in England, 60,000 people attend, including the royal family. Edward is finally shown the respect and adoration he always wanted. Unfortunately for him, he needed to be dead to receive it. Wallace lives another 16 years in their country home, the last few utterly alone and suffering from dementia. She dies on April 24, 1986, at the age of 89. Her dying wish is to be buried next to her husband of over three decades. Initially, the monarchy rejects this request, but Queen Elizabeth, Edward's niece, relents, allowing Edward and Wallace to be buried side by side within the royal burial grounds of Windsor Castle, outside London. Although in seemingly one final insult, her and her husband's graves are purposely placed at a distance from the other royals also buried there. Although it's been nearly half a century since the end of the Wallace-Edward love story, it continues to draw in scholars and fans the world over, all trying to dissect what actually happened, and more importantly, why it happened at all. For my part, I think their love story is so compelling, not just because this man sacrificed being the damn king of England to be with his woman, but also because of the incredible amount of turmoil, indignity, and pain that came with making this one life-altering choice. And this goes not only for Edward, but for Wallace as well. Especially Wallace, maybe. That's because history has not been so kind to her, since she came in and single-handedly changed the trajectory of the royal family. Think about it. If Wallace never shows up, Edward maybe never walks away from being king. Then Edward's young niece, Queen Elizabeth, has no path to become queen. Princess Diana almost certainly never marries Prince Charles, who also never becomes king. And finally, an American named Meghan Markle doesn't meet Prince Harry. A love story that is strikingly similar to that of Wallace and Edwards, by the way, as young Prince Harry has taken a very similar path to his great-great-uncle and chosen love over duty. No, Royal life would be very, very different in England if the Wallace-Edward love story hadn't taken place, making it one for the ages. But in the end, Wallace, the Duchess herself, 
laid out the bizarre nature of their story in a way that just about everyone can agree on. She pointed out, You have no idea how hard it is to live out a great romance. To that, I'll just say, right you are, Wallace. Right you are. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode. And remember, if you like this podcast, please give us a five-star review and hit the subscribe button. Or like us on our World's Greatest Love Stories Facebook page. It really does help. And if you're a smart, successful single who's looking to find your forever relationship and want to create your own great love story, go to amythedatingcoach.com. That's A-M-I-E, thedatingcoach.com. Amy's programs help you break unhealthy dating beliefs, attitudes, and patterns through live virtual group coaching, private coaching, video lessons, and breakthrough exercises. Schedule a free relationship readiness review with Amy today. Mention this podcast and you'll receive special discounts on her various programs. See you next time on the world's greatest real life love stories.